Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Florida lawmakers react to a leaked Supreme Court memo indicating the Roe v. Wade decision protecting abortion rights will soon be overturned. Governor Ron DeSantis says more Disney legislation is in the works and a new election law gets the governor's signature. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... That music means it's time to pick some numbers. John, do you have a number for us today? Zach, I do have a number this week, and uh, it's a four. As usual, it's a fab four. Fab four today for John. And how about you, Antonio? Well, I got a four, too, but it's 45. We're going to keep going up here. My number is 75 million. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, the bombshell political report detailing the contents of a leaked Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade sent shockwaves through Florida's political circles this week. Democrats reacted with outrage. Republicans, though, were muted in their response. The impending demise of Roe has the potential to really alter the political landscape in Florida, energizing Democrats and putting Republicans on the defensive after it seemed like the GOP had momentum going into the 2022 election cycle. John, what's some of the reaction you're hearing? Well, there does seem to be a divide on how to respond. Uh, Democrats and allied women's organizations and abortion rights groups, they've been very vocal. Uh, A dozen rallies were held around the state the day after the leaked opinion came out. Uh, But as you point out, Zach, the, uh, the Republican governor has been very measured in his approach to this. And uh, of course, nowadays, Republican legislative leaders take all their cues from him. So they've been largely silent on this. Um, You know, what does all this mean? Well, sure, Democrats see this as a potential motivating moment for their voters heading toward the, the midterm elections where as, as we well aware, uh, uh, President Biden has been doing poorly in the polls. Uh, inflation is a talking point being used against him. Uh, migrants at the me- Mexican border, uh, you know, have really inflamed Fox News. That's a, a regular story there. Uh, so the idea that the court could overturn Roe versus Wade is a huge political shift that a lot of voters and uh, not just Democrats, uh, you know, a lot of these voters may not be ready for. Um, The idea, as the draft opinion said, that the 
of, of abortion laws in this country should be set by the individual states. That also has animated people here in Florida where conservative Republicans have an ironclad grip on state government. So Democrats will try to get as many people's attention on this and try to get their voters out for this fall's election uh, in, in, a, in a bid to assure some kind of safeguards that abortion will still remain legal and accessible in the state. Um, Republicans, I think, uh, may not know uh, exactly what to do right now. Uh, it, it's easy to blast the idea of the leak as being a betrayal of the court. We've heard DeSantis uh, uh, go in that direction. And uh, Republicans can try to create the narrative that it must be a left-leaning justice or a or staffer to blame because it appears to be benefiting Democrats politically right now to stir the base. But uh, of course, we don't know uh, if that's how the document was leaked. And uh, a case uh, you know, can be made that the leak was by somebody looking to get it out on the record and assure that not one of the five conservative justices who signed on to the draft would uh, defect and uh, opt for something less than overturning the uh, you know, famous 1973 landmark uh, Roe versus Wade case. But Florida Republican legislators may know that they're going to have a tiger by the tail with this politically. The, the, the state has enacted a new law that's set to go into effect on July 1st that, that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. That uh, that new limit, uh, you know, an earlier poll showed is opposed by 57 percent of Floridians. So that's a potential political problem for Republicans who thwarted it, at least in some legislative districts. And uh, maybe it has some blowback for DeSantis in his reelection. But if Roe versus Wade is abolished with an official ruling coming out of the United States Supreme Court expected in June or July, you know, will DeSantis and Republican legislative leaders also have to do more to sort of placate a, a very strong anti-abortion wing within the within the GOP? Uh, you know, politically, an abortion ban in Florida would be wildly unpopular in much of this state. Uh, you know, f going far more to, than any opposition, I think, that we would see to a 15-week uh, limit on uh, uh, abortions. At, at the very least, Republicans seem that, that they're, they're sensing risk in going too far, that uh, that it could have a real challenge on their hands in, in you know, keeping the socially conservative and religious voting base on board that that maybe feels ignored if uh, DeSantis doesn't come out calling for a ban on most abortions in Florida in a state that maybe isn't as conservative and religiously driven uh, as, you know, we, we've seen our neighbors, you know, Alabama and Mississippi, uh, uh, even though this 15-week ban we're talking about is modeled on Mississippi's law, I don't think Florida's uh, voting electorate is quite as, uh, you know, rabidly right as uh, some of our neighboring states. So anyway, it may be a challenge for the governor. And I think we're sensing that in these uh, opening days after the leak, uh, just trying to navigate a call for an abortion ban from within his party's most conservative wing. And and to for the governor, I think he's realizing that in a general election, he doesn't want to go too far with restrictions that really don't meet the mood of this state. Yeah, you can really tell there's some trepidation on his part. The, the governor's been asked twice now this week at press conferences in Fort Myers and in Clearwater, back to back uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday, if he would consider putting uh, abortion as one of the issues um, uh, up for uh, discussion in this uh, special session that he called for later this month on property insurance. You know, he can expand the special session to include 
uh, other topics. And he's deflected both times. I mean, he doesn't seem eager to jump into this issue uh, right away, even though in the past, you know, when he was running for um, uh, election in 2018 the first time and he was running in a primary against Adam Putnam, um, Putnam came out uh, strongly in favor of a so-called heartbeat bill, which would ban abortions after a fetal heartbeat can be uh, detected, which is uh, roughly around six weeks. So, you know, pretty, pretty early on uh, in the pregnancy. And DeSantis also uh, said that he supports uh, a heartbeat bill. So he's he's come out for uh, even stronger restrictions than, um, you know, what they approved this year. But He's not talking about doing that right away. Uh, he said, uh, when asked about it yesterday, he said, well, you know, uh, property insurance is a crisis right now. And um, and he also, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, the, the implication is that he doesn't think the uh, abortion issue has as much uh, immediacy. And then when he was asked about it the day before, he said, well, we just passed the you know strongest uh, new abortion laws in this state in in you know a long time. So basically saying, you know, we've already delivered uh, on on a big um, uh, abortion bill. Um, so we don't necessarily need to go ahead with another one right now. Um, but I think you're right, John. I think there's going to be pressure on him from the right. We saw this week where uh, an anti-abortion group, Florida Voices for the Unborn, uh, was calling on DeSantis to expand the special session to ban all abortions in the state. I think those calls are going to ramp up, especially once uh, if, in fact, this opinion, the Supreme Court opinion is released and, and you have Roe v. Wade overturned, I think, um, you know, anti-abortion activists are going to look around and say, there's nothing stopping us now. Why aren't we going further if you've promised to go further? And I think the pressure is going to be on DeSantis. And, uh, you know, as somebody who is seems like he wants to run for the presidency, uh, you know, this issue could be important in a GOP primary. So he's going to have a balancing act. You know, polls show that, um, you know, new abortion restrictions are not um, that popular in Florida. I don't I don't know if there's been a, a ton of polling on the issue lately, but the University of North Florida did do a poll that found that the majority of people uh, opposed uh, the 15 week ban um, that DeSantis uh, signed a few weeks ago. So uh, it does seem like a dicey issue. Democrats are really jumping on this to try and rally their base. Is this a game changer or, or wishful thinking on their part? You know, Zach, that the, the, yeah, I, they have definitely pounced on this, and, but the answer to that lies in how much of a, you know, a single issue or a decisive issue this becomes going forward. And there are historical antecedents to argue yes and no. And, but more than that in a moment, uh, first of all, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Democrats immediately pounced on the news of the Supreme Court decision, draft opinion, right, I mean, starting that evening and, and early the next morning. Uh, every Democrat in the Florida congressional delegation came out lockstep to denounce the the news. Uh, two of the noteworthy uh, condemnations were from congressional members uh, Charlie Crist and Val Demings. Uh, I mentioned Crist and Demings because they are running, you know, campaigns for governor and U.S. Senate, and they're on the federal level. And Crist Chris called the news gut wrenching for women and, re and reproductive freedom in the United States. And and he noted his work as a Republican state senator decades ago to block a required 24-hour waiting period for those uh, women seeking an abortion. And not to be outdone, Chris, two Democratic rivals for the governor's, the gubernatorial nomination, Nikki Freed, uh, the Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, and State Senator Annette Tadale also blasted the impending Supreme Court ruling that would, 
you know, Void, uh, presumably Void, Roe versus Wade. Uh, a fired up Demings was at a rally in her hometown of Jacksonville that evening, uh, or the following evening, where she told Republicans to, quote unquote, doggone, get a life. And then she said that when she started, decided to start a family, she didn't have to ask permission from a governor or, or U.S. senator. And, and as you know, if she were to win the race and become a U.S. senator, she would support you know, legislation to codify uh, abortion rights in the U.S. You know, I would also note that Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Weston also released a video, really interesting video from 2006. At the time, she was a member of Congress and she appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee during the confirmation hearings for Justice Samuel Alito, who is the presumably the author of that draft opinion. And Wasserman Schultz, had, in her testimony before the U.S. Senate 16 years ago, warned against uh, the nomination of, of Justice or then, of then Judge Alito, saying that you know that she had questions about how committed he would be to established you know precedents at, at the Supreme Court. And she said in the statement the other day that she was sickening to her that her prediction she said from 16 years ago had apparently come true. Now the, the other question you raise is: Does this galvanize the Democratic rank and file in Florida? And look, let's face it: Democrats seriously need galvanizing in this year's elections. You know, we've talked about this in the past that Republicans have added more than 600,000 more voters to top 5.1 million across the Sunshine State as, as, as of the end of March. And in the process, they've wiped out the 300,000 voter advantage that Florida Democrats held before 2017. And, and Republicans outnumber Democrats in the state by a margin of 111,000 registered voters. So, you know, they, they, you know if they're going to galvanize their, their base, they need an issue, and this could be it. I mean, I recall back, I covered the 1990 governor's race in here in Florida, and back then, Republican Governor Bob Martinez was seeking re-election, but in his one term, Martinez had jumped on the pro-life bandwagon around the time of the 1988 Casey decision that reaffirmed Roe versus Wade, and that cost him, in, in the 1992, his 1990 re-election effort, uh, when he lost to Lawton Childs, but then again, you know, that was 32 years ago. Florida has changed. It's a lot redder. And what I'm hearing is, uh, is, is as to whether this is going to be a catalyst really depends a lot on the discussion that you and John had, uh, namely the challenge for the governor to satisfy his base. And I will also point out that uh, two years ago, DeSantis was under pressure from the more militant, you know, pro-life organizations in the state who wanted him to shut down abortion uh, clinics that perform abortions during the pandemic business closure. Uh, in addition, there are rumblings that, hey, you know, DeSantis has called a special session to deal with redistricting, to deal with Disney's taxing district, property insurance. You know, the, mil the more militant hard right on the abortion issue is going to wonder, wait a minute, why won't you call one uh, for abortions once this decision comes out? So, you know, the, the, the stakes are going to be pretty high. And I guess the common denominator we can say is, is an abortion is an issue that sparks passions and candidates and both parties better be prepared to manage their supporters. I, I do think that, uh, you know, it could depend somewhat on, you know, what what uh, the Republicans continue to do on this issue. I, I'm kind of skeptical that they're going to do much more uh, before the election. Um, you know, I think DeSantis can point to this 15 week uh, abortion uh, ban and say this is was, was uh, you know we we delivered um, you know uh, historic um, restrictions and uh, and you know sort of nod to what he might do after the election and the question is is what DeSantis might do after the election and 
um, you know, just the idea of this Supreme Court opinion dropping when it does, does that galvanize uh, enough people to overcome sort of the malaise that uh, Democrats um, have had in the state? And I don't know, it'll be fascinating to see. I mean, this issue certainly does galvanize um, certain people. Um, You know, others, maybe it doesn't affect them so directly. And and it's not, uh, you know, uh, something that they would be a single issue voter on. So um, certainly, uh, though, throws a a big wrench into the uh, the political cycle this year. But even as you pointed out (laughs) earlier in in a previous podcast, Zach, that, you know, that the 15 week ban, it's what only affects would have affected 2000 of the abortions last year, wasn't that? Yeah, less, less than that, actually. So, I mean, it, it is it's something that I mean, when, when you can sell it, though, I mean, the governor is going to come out and say, you know, it used to be 24 weeks. Now it's 15 weeks. We've you know, we've uh, protected, you know, um, a certain number, uh, you know, or we've we've stopped a certain number of abortions or we've made a big change. And so I, I think he'll be able to to sell that to his voters, uh, you know, on on the campaign trail. And um, I think uh you know, yeah, it, it does, though, it, it affect a relatively small number of abortions in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, you look at what other states are doing. These heartbeat bills have become increasingly common. Texas had one um, passed last year. Idaho followed right after that. Other states have passed them. Uh, I don't I think Texas was the first one that actually went into law and wasn't blocked um, by a court. But, you know, the governor's on record supporting that. So I think at some point some of his. Um, his base is going to say, hey, uh, why aren't we moving forward with that? I think we're also seeing a little bit, uh, the governor may be uh, signaling uh, his effort to try to stall this a little while, because you've heard him speak in uh, most recently in a couple of news conferences this week about how uh, Florida's uh, 15-week law will still face a challenge in state court because of uh, the state's privacy uh, protections. Uh, Florida has a kind of a unique privacy law. It's one of, uh, uh, no, it's a, just a handful of states that have such a uh, broad privacy uh, law. So I think in this case, maybe the governor is welcoming the idea that the issue of abortion in Florida could be tied up in state court for a few months. And uh, I, I wonder about that, if uh, there will be an effort by the governor and uh, other leading Republicans to sort of, uh, 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 you know, punt this uh, issue until after the November elections to somehow uh, uh, cite that, well, it's still being determined how far Florida's privacy law uh, restricts how far legislators can go in uh, abolishing abortion or or further uh, inhibiting it in some fashion. So uh, anyway, I wonder about that. Uh, We're suddenly seeing Governor DeSantis with a open concern about uh, the state court and uh, privacy laws, which uh, seems a little bit uncharacteristic for uh, a governor who a lot of people often say, uh, you know, he he shoots first and aims later. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think you're right, John. I think that gives him some political cover to say, well, we want to wait for these court cases to play out. And, you know, it's been 50 years since this uh, Roe v. Wade decision. The, uh, the you know, the uh, anti-abortion folks have been waiting a long time. I think the governor can probably stall them uh, and and uh, you know, kind of delay any action uh, on this uh, for for at least a, a little yeah. while longer. But Fred, one other thing is, there's always been this fault line, even among Republicans, when it comes to this issue, and, and Roe versus Wade, and and that is that there are many who would, while they want to see Roe versus Wade overruled, 
it was so that it would be easier to implement restrictions, not an outright ban. And that's going to be the, the tension between within the Republican camp the push between an outright ban and just simply supporting restrictions. Yeah, but you're seeing, you know, all these states that have trigger laws, I think it's 13 states they're going to, uh, you know, immediately ban or put uh, major, major restrictions yeah. on abortion. I, I think pretty soon Florida's, uh, if if DeSantis doesn't act, Florida's going to look like an outlier among conservative states. And mm -hmm. how does that affect him if he wants to run uh, in a Republican presidential primary? Maybe he's thinks he's strong enough on issues like the pandemic and some of this woke stuff that he's been talking about that, you know, he doesn't have to go as far right uh, as, as uh, on abortion as on other issues. But it'll it'll be uh, something that he'll definitely be asked about. The abortion ruling fallout eclipsed another big story that's been dominating Florida headlines over the last few weeks. The governor's feud with Disney. But stay tuned, DeSantis said there's more coming on the Disney front. During a recent Fox News appearance, DeSantis said more Disney legislation is in the works. There's been a lot of speculation about whether revoking Disney's uh, special district that governs its properties in Central Florida could force local taxpayers to pay for Disney's bond debt. And also uh, whether the state violated a contract agreement with Disney by dissolving that district before the bond debt was paid off. Don't worry, DeSantis said on Fox, legislation is being drafted to smooth all of that out. Antonio, is the fact that more legislation is needed on this issue a sign that maybe this wasn't very well thought out in the first place and more of a political move? Yeah, obviously not. And look, it's no shocker that it wasn't. As we said, this action against Disney wasn't about policy. It was 100 percent political retribution. Look, it's not like Florida Tax Watch issued a 300-page report at the start of the session outlining why this special taxing district wasn't in the state taxpayers' best interest. And it's not like the James Madison Institute convened a, a day-long workshop last month to explain why this special taxing district was akin to, get, to government picking the winners and losers among Florida theme park operators. In fact, it was not even an, an issue until Disney's CEO voice criticism. And, and in reality, it wasn't even much criticism. It was more like regret that he and the company had not been more hands-on in opposing the legislation at the start. Yeah, and he was kind of, he was he was basically forced into it by his employees. He, his natural yeah. inclination seemed to be to stay out of it. Um, and, but, yeah. And, and the inclination right now is to stay out of it. They, they've been trying to figure out saying, how do we become more you know, culturally neutral here that we, 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 we are fair with our employees? at the same time that we're not engaged in politics. But yet again, but back in DeSantis' world, that alone gets you attacked for being a potential groomer and exploitive of American children and families. And in Disney's case, having your government's, you know, self-government status canceled. Uh, you know, the problem now is that, you know, as you said in your question, is that the fine print on the taxing district has come to the forefront. And that's fine print that probably no one has really looked at since 1967 other than maybe a handful of people on Wall Street. And that fine print is pretty legally and financially complicated. It addresses a billion bucks in bonds and debt and the debt creating debt credit readings and well, a lot more complexity than the two page bill deleting the special taxing district took into account. As you mentioned, yeah, the governor told Logger Ingram in that <clears throat> town hall last week that they have everything figured out, meaning they they figured out that it isn't all figured out. Personally, look, I, I think the governor, they, they knew this much going in, and that's why they postponed the actual end of the taxing district until next year. That gives them you know, time to sort out how to do this. 
But I'm also betting there could be years worth of litigation if Disney or bondholders sue. And the one thing that we know about getting stuck with a billion dollar tax bill is that that's something definitely worth suing about. Yeah. And uh, I think there was a lawsuit filed yesterday or, or uh, just recently um, about uh, from some central Florida uh, residents over this whole Disney uh, episode. So I think lawsuits are going to be flying here. More laws are coming. This uh, seems to be uh, shaping up to be a really uh, naughty uh, and complicated and uh, probably um, time consuming issue that will stretch out um Uh, further than this election cycle. Well, while DeSantis looks ahead to more Disney legislation, he's still signing bills that cleared the legislature early this year. That includes an elections bill that the governor signed last week. It sets up a state unit to investigate election fraud, among other changes. John, this is a pretty unusual new fraud fighting force. <laughs> there you are, yeah. No, it, it certainly is. Uh, this uh, elections police, as uh, critics like to call it, it it's going to cost $3.7 million. He didn't, he didn't get his sworn officers right, John, so it's not like fair to call it the elections police, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is going to have a law enforcement component, though, because basically the way it's uh, shaped, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. They, he, he had wanted a, a much more uh, muscular force. But I guess it, force. it designates some people in FDLE to investigate this, but it's not like new officers. These are unsworn investigators, but then they kick it up to FDLE if they find uh, that there's something to look into. Yeah, it it works out that there's going to be 15 uh, new Department of State officials that are going to be accepting hotline tips about potential ballot wrongdoing, uh, and that would then be passed on to 10 new Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigators for further examination and uh, any action. Uh, so the idea that, you know, like any law enforcement unit, it's it's based on tips. Uh, well, that's drawing some concerns because uh, there's a f- underlying fear that it can be used to punish the governor's political enemies. If somebody calls and says they think some Democratic allied organization is doing something wrong, well, can this unit spring into action, uh, demanding documents, taking depositions and doing the kind of uh, investigative things that can really just make it plain difficult for an organization to function? Um the security force, uh, which, you know, th- this may be the first of its kind in the nation. Uh, that, that That's not the only change, though, in this new elections law. The third-party voting uh, registration groups also could face fines that may climb to as much as $50,000. That's uh, up from a current $1,000 penalty for uh, doing things like failing to submit voter registration application forms uh, that have been collected uh, if they don't submit them to election officials within a required two weeks. Um, so th- there's that kind of provision. And then also it makes a penalty, a felony penalty to uh, collect and submit more than two vote by mail ballots on behalf of others. So that ups that penalty from a misdemeanor. Um, you know, DeSantis, of course, is hailing these steps as another attack on what he calls ballot harvesting, a, a practice which many experts say is quite rare, but it's a frequent target for a conservative wrath, basically. Um, you know, remember, DeSantis has has praised the state's elections performance during the 2020 election, but he has never distanced himself from former President Trump's claims and uh, continued claims that he was he was robbed in the 2020 election by President Biden and that he is still firing off unsupported uh, allegations that election fraud cost him the White House. 
Um, of course, Trump carried Florida in both the 2016 and 2020 elections, but DeSantis had been getting some heat from Florida Trump followers who believed that there were problems here too. The governor's staff met with some of them, and uh, you know, here maybe the security force and more. Uh, th that's all part of uh, the governor's response, his way to calm this uh, sector of, uh, of of Trump followers. Um, the Democrats and others who who have opposed the legislation have pointed out there's there's no evidence that organized voting fraud is a major problem in Florida or in most states. Uh, elections officials will tell you that too, and of course uh, opponents have have said that they. Feel fear that this new security force could become a weapon, something that's used by the governor and his allies against voter groups that are opposing uh, Republican policies. Um, but for the second year in a row, we have a big new elections law in Florida coming out of the legislature and the governor's office. Last year's is on appeal now before the federal 11th Circuit Court uh, after Tallahassee uh, federal judge Mark Walker, he, he found the limits on drop boxes and new voter requirements uh, on registration groups, he, he found those unconstitutional and especially discriminatory toward minority voters. Um, DeSantis, though, he, well, he's convinced that he's going to win on appeal, but it's also pretty likely that he'll wind up getting sued over the new security force and more. So uh, we could wind up with basically two election laws making their way through the federal court system uh, just in time for the latest election year. Coming this this fall, <laughs> uh, but but that does mean that um, they may not actually apply this election year, right, John? I mean, the, so yeah. the, uh, the what the, the status of the SB ninety, the law from last year, the judge uh, stopped some of it from going through, but allowed some of it to stand. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But some of the most uh, you know remarkable parts of uh, Senate Bill ninety from last year uh, are on hold right now. Some of right. the restrictions on drop boxes and uh, and some of these restrictions on voter registration groups. So uh, yeah, how the appeal comes out on that, we may get uh, a ruling on that. You know, this summer uh, there was uh, there were arguments before the 11th Circuit just uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, um, I think that's going to be something that we'll get a, a, a decision on relatively quickly. All right. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, gentlemen, I had 45, as in 45 percent. That is the percentage of the Jewish vote in Florida. That Republican leaders say former President Trump garnered in the 2020 election on the way to winning the state's electoral uh, 29 electoral votes by really a that, yeah that seems high to me <clears throat> it seems high but that's what they said oh. uh, that's what they said the uh, on Monday uh, that that's the the, uh, the percentage they got in Florida yeah uh, so. In 2022 and 2024, the GOP is banking on growing its share of Jewish voters in the Sunshine State. And they evened up a voter center in Boca Raton this week and on to, to do so to sort of lead the effort there. And on hand for the grand opening was former Vice President Mike Pence. Now, Pence and Trump have gone their separate ways since the January 6th coup attempt at the U.S. Capitol. But in Boca, Pence lauded his former boss's Israeli policy. And in fact, there was much that Jewish voters in Florida and elsewhere liked about that policy, including moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and the Abraham Peace Accords. Uh, for years, the, the so-called internationalist establishment warned against dire consequences about moving the embassy to Jerusalem, but Trump pulled it off, so give credit where credit is due. Now, what struck me covering the event on Monday, other than Pence lauding Trump in Trump's home county, was kind of the underlying clash with Trump's own America First brand of politics. 
uh, Trump's America first dogma, as he has said, means we look out for our interests and other countries look out for theirs. George Washington called it entangling alliances, but Trump simplified that to just avoiding stupid deals. But in Boca, Pence made it clear that the U.S. has a commitment to defend Israel. And that's no different than GOP leaders that go to Miami-Dade County, for example, and talk about the U.S. having to a, a commitment to pursue freedom and democracy in Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. This has kind of this alternating America first and America internationalist has been a subterranean, below-the-surface tension within the GOP, GOP brand for years. It, it surged again this winter with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and where many America firsters in Congress then blasted the Biden administration for not doing enough to back <coughs> Ukraine. Uh, other than the 10 GOPers in Congress, including Matt Gates, who recently voted against the Ukraine military aid package. So yes, America first sounds great until you need votes in South Florida so you can win by a virtual landslide of 3.4%. That's pretty interesting. I mean, the Jewish vote is um, is is uh, important in Florida. And, uh, you know, it definitely there's is um, a strong conservative um, uh, element uh, within that. I was I'm surprised, though, that it's almost half of the, the he got almost half the vote. So uh, we'll see if he can expand on that. Uh, John, you want to uh, uh, tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, uh, my four, that's going to be the number of justices on the seven member Florida Supreme Court that Governor Ron DeSantis will have picked when he gets around to replacing Justice Alan Lawson, who just recently announced that he is stepping down from the court effective August 31st. Uh, Lawson is 60 and uh, said he's retiring from the court, although he's 15 years away from the mandatory retirement age for justices. Uh, he was appointed by Governor Rick Scott in 2016, but um, unlike the United States Supreme Court, uh, the Florida court doesn't leak too much. So uh, we, we don't have too much more of any uh, backstory about, uh, you know, what's prompting uh, Lawson's uh, seemingly early departure. But um, it, regardless of, uh, you know, the reasons for Lawson's uh, leaving, uh, DeSantis will have uh, uh, eventually now appointed a majority of the Florida Supreme Court, which is a remarkable achievement for a governor in his first term. Um, most governors get to appoint maybe one you know, two or three, but but DeSantis will have actually appointed six justices since two of them, Justices Barbara Lagoa and Robert Luck, were appointed by uh, then President Trump to a federal appeals court. And uh, then De DeSantis had to replace those replacements. Uh, they, they had been on the court only for a very short time. So, um, and, and if you really want to get uh, super technical or whatever on this, uh, DeSantis actually appointed a seventh justice, Renatha Francis of Palm Beach County, whose appointment was nullified when she was ruled ineligible for, by the court for not having been a Florida bar member for 10 years. That's a requirement for being on the court. So um, DeSantis, like his political mentor, Donald Trump, uh, he is the lucky leader who gets to appoint an outsized number of justices and, uh, you know, really leaving his mark on government and policy for quite a while. Um, he, he, while we're recording this podcast on Thursday, today the Judicial Nominating Commission is holding its first meeting to lay out some of the uh, the basics about how the uh, nomination will take place and kind of work on a timetable for it. But uh, DeSantis uh, will be making a move, and that will be uh, coming forward with a nominee fairly soon. Uh, and in a, in a strange twist of Florida politics, the seven-member Florida Supreme Court will soon be comprised of four selections from Florida's current governor and three picks made by 
Charlie Crist, who is one of the three Democrats now running against DeSantis for governor this uh, election season. And uh, yeah, Crist had selected the court's other three justices back when he was Florida's Republican governor from 2007 to 2011. So uh, so there you have it. You're going to have four uh, DeSantis uh, appointments and three Crist appointments on the, uh, on the Florida Supreme Court pretty soon. Um, and that'll be a very cozy bench. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talk about how Trump uh, reshaped um, the U.S. Supreme Court and how, uh, you know, uh, the, the impact of that when you look at what might happen with Roe v. Wade. It'll be fascinating to see the sure. impact in Florida on policy with the Trump's uh, or with DeSantis's reshaped state Supreme Court, which had blocked a lot of conservative policy uh, over the years under a, a different configuration with more liberal justices. And um, there's a lot of speculation about how that could change going forward. Well, my number is 75 million. That's the number of American families that President Joe Biden claims will get a tax increase under Florida Senator Rick Scott's 11-point plan that Scott released earlier this year. Biden blasted Scott's plan as the ultra-MAGA agenda in remarks at the White House on Wednesday. Biden was giving a speech about the economy. He's hoping he can shift the focus from issues like inflation that are dogging his presidency. And it's sort of a classic political move. Instead of making 2022 a referendum on his economic uh, approach, he's trying to sort of uh, twist it around and make it a, a choice between his views and uh, the GOP alternative. And that alternative is embodied by Scott, who came out with a plan that has drawn bipartisan criticism. Scott's proposal said all Americans should pay some level of income tax, which was immediately received as a tax hike on many lower income people. Of course, Scott says that's not true. And he called Biden's comments Wednesday, quote, a complete lie. But prominent Republicans such as Mitch McConnell also have said that Scott is pushing a tax hike. One thing is certain, Scott's plan has received a lot of attention, and in some ways that could be good for him. He's probably happy to be in a fight with Biden, which could boost him with Republicans. But some Republicans seem worried that Scott's plan is giving Democrats more ammunition than they'd like this election cycle. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.